Hey, how's it going, everybody? Mike the Cop here for FantasyAssembly.com. We have a very special guest for you on today's Fantasy Baseball Police podcast. Here to talk about the Miami Marlins, the host of FanRag Fantasy Baseball and Fantasy Radio. He also writes for FanRag Sports and Fangraphs, Al Mechier. Al, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for having me. Not a problem, not a problem. Listen, I know it must be hard to be a Marlins fan. You guys haven't made the playoffs since 2003, but you probably don't need me to remind you of something like that. Maybe the new ownership can turn it around, and it seems like their number one thing is going to be trading John Carlos Stanton for the million destinations, million returns for him. What do you got for me on Stanton? I I think at, you know, at this point, I mean, the as we see this time of year, always you know, with the GM meetings coming up, the winter meetings down the line, you know, the the rumors change every day. Um, so two days ago, I think it was the, the news was uh, well, talks of the Red Sox are heating up. And now the most recent thing is. The Giants and the Cardinals uh, have the most intense interest. So I I think, you know, he could go in any of those places, but if I had to pick one, it just seems like the Cardinals are the, the obvious destination because they've got what, what the Marlins really need. They've got a ton of really good young pitching. Uh, that's that's what the Mar- and I'm sure as we dig into the roster, I mean, that's going to be the obvious thing is that even if they sell off some of the big bats, they've got some pretty pretty good depth offensively. But the uh, the pitching was was a huge problem last year, and we knew it would be. Um, so uh, you know, I think that the Cardinals match up best. They I think they've just got the best farm system in general of the the teams that seem to be the the front runners, and uh, they certainly have the the pitching help that the Marlins can use. And like you said, the Marlins have the hitting depth for sure, which we'll get into a little bit a little bit later. And they need the pitching, which is another thing we'll get into a little bit later. I saw something yesterday that said if you're the Red Sox and you have to give up either Benatindi or Devers for in a Stanton deal, would you do it? Would, would you do that if you were the Red Sox? I'm the Red Sox. Okay, and, you know, full disclosure, I am a Marlins fan, so it's a little hard for me to be impartial. But uh, if I'm the Red Sox, you know, given that they're, they're you know, so close to um, – I mean, they're already contending, but I think, you know, so close to, you know, getting – on the level of the Indians or the Astros, um, that I, I think you do that deal. So you want to give I up think, one of those? Uh, I think it's worth. I think it's worthwhile. To give yeah, up either what, of those guys. What about if you're the Cardinals and uh, put your Marlins fan aside here? You're the Cardinals. Do you give up Luke Weaver to get John Carlos Stanton? Uh, yeah, and again, I don't know that they would necessarily need to because uh, you know they've got Alex Reyes. Uh, I would think, you know, Jack Flaherty, he wouldn't necessarily be the, the cornerstone of a deal to get somebody of Stanton's caliber, but he'd be a nice piece. Um, I, you know, but I think the Marlins should definitely press for Luke Weaver, and I think from the, the Cardinals' perspective, it's, it's a little less clear than the Red Sox because I mean, the Cardinals do need to reload that, that pitching rotation. But, um, and I think they're a little further away from uh, being a strong, strong contender for, uh, to win the World Series. But I still think uh, that's that's worth doing. And I've heard the Giants, Christian Arroyo, Slater. I've heard the Phillies, Michael Franco, Aaron Altair. But I think the – I mean, personally, I think the Marlins are moving in the dire- right direction here because a little later in the show when we go over their terrible farm system and their lack of pitching depth, I think this is something that they really should do to try and turn this around here. And while we're on Stanton – does, before I move on to the rest of the guys, do you think he deserves the National League MVP? I mean, he certainly had an MVP-like season. Um, I personally think it, if I had a vote, it would go to Joey Votto. 
Um, and it's really tough to, to uh, make a call between those two. I think Anthony Rendon has a decent case, too. And, you know, there are a lot of voters still, I think, like to give some uh, weight to the success of the team as a whole, which I don't think necessarily makes a, a whole lot of sense. But uh, I, I think, you know, neither, neither Votto nor Stanton really has that, uh, you know, that check, uh, that, that box to check. But uh, I just think Votto, what he, what he brings overall, um, it just gives him a little bit of an edge uh, over Stanton in terms of his ability, just amazing ability to get on base. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to match Stanton's power numbers, but there's certainly nothing wrong with the, the power that Votto gives you. But he just he does just about everything. I totally agree. Joey Votto, again, my vote if I had one, too. I actually saw something that said Joey Votto had 179 hits, 36 home runs, and 134 walks last year. And the last player to go 175, 35, 130 in a season was Ted Williams in 1949. So Votto's basically doing stuff that hasn't been done in lifetimes. So uh, he would definitely get my vote. And it's nice to see because I'm getting a lot of good feedback on Votto for MVP. I think five, six years ago, when someone sees 59 home runs for John Carlos Stanton, he would automatically get their vote. So it's nice to see that turnaround. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, keep going. No, I was just saying, I, mean, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I think it does, if it does happen, uh, I think it, it is a good sign in terms of uh, the evaluation of players really getting a little more sophisticated. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure Brian Kenny would be, would be very happy about that. But, uh, <laughs> D. Gordon's another guy I've heard I've heard a bunch of. I'm a huge D. Gordon fan. I he was actually a big part of my fantasy success this past season. The guy he's Billy Hamilton with a 300 average. I've heard the Blue Jays. I've heard the Mets. Have you heard anything besides those two teams for him? Uh, no. I saw um, a piece sort of speculating about the Brewers, but I, I think again that was just speculation and, and sort of looking at uh, where there might be a need and, and a fit. But uh, the Mets, to me, seem just like uh, um, the, the Cardinals seem like the obvious place for Stanton. I think the Mets make the most sense for Gordon. I mean, certainly, certainly there's, there's clearly a need there, maybe more of a need than anywhere else uh, in the major leagues uh, for, for Gordon uh, to, to play second. But, um, uh, you know, again, I, I don't really love what the Mets have in the farm system, but they do have some pitching, and you wouldn't need the kind of pitching that the Cardinals have, I think, to depart with Gordon, uh, you know, he's certainly not going to draw the same kind of haul. So, uh, you know, somebody like a David Peterson or, or a Justin Dunn uh, or, you know, some combination maybe with uh, uh, Thomas Zapucky. Uh, Thomas um, you know, I think they got enough to get it done, um, you know, with one or two pitching pieces. Again, that's, you know, that, that's really where the Marlins should be, uh, you know, should be focusing their, their search. What about Steve Matz? Would you be interested in bringing Steve Matz over and giving up Gordon? Uh, if he were a part of a deal, but uh, I mean, last season was just very, very disturbing. I mean, he just really seemed to to have lost it and you know, worry about the the health with him. And uh, I certainly would not. Uh, now going back into position of being a Marlins fan, uh, I wouldn't want that to be the centerpiece of a deal. Frankly, if, I, if that's what it was, I would hope that the Marlins would, you know, go elsewhere and maybe look at Toronto or, or you know, Milwaukee. I have to wonder if the Cardinals may have some interest in Gordon, too. I mean, not necessarily to bundle him up with Stan, although that would be one heck of a deal. But, um, you know, they. I think uh, – I don't know what their plans are for Colton Wong, but it seems like they're, maybe there's a, 
a fit there. Uh, I think the, you know the Marlins certainly have other options that they, you know, they could look elsewhere if the Mets didn't uh, come up with a, a pretty good package of prospects. Yeah, I agree. I think the Cardinals would be a good fit for either Gordon or Stanton, and uh, they're going to have to do something to compete with the Cubs because the Cubs don't look like they're uh, trending downward anytime soon. A couple other guys, you got Ozuna, Yelich, Realmuto, Bohr. Anything you heard about these guys being on the move? Because now this new ownership's in, it seems like they're ready to clean house here. Any destination spots? Yeah, I mean, everything that I've read indicates that they're they're going to try to keep them. So I, I have to think that maybe it's contingent upon what they can get for Stanton and Gordon. So it might be kind of a domino effect where um, I imagine that they'd be uh, the first two to go. I've also seen uh, Martin Prado's name uh, both as a candidate to be traded, uh, somebody that they're, you know, is kind of in the in the first run of players they're going to try to deal, but also somebody who's, who's probably going to be hard to move. So, uh, you know, it might depend on whether or not they can trade Prado or, you know, what the market is for Stanton and Gordon. Uh, so I I would I would lean towards thinking they're not going to trade any one of Ozuna, Yelich, uh, Real Muto, or Bohr. Uh, that's still a pretty nice, nice core. I mean, they're missing huge pieces with Stanton and Gordon, who I just assume are going to be gone. But that's, uh, you know, I'm hopeful they can keep keep uh, all four of those players. Yeah, that would be nice. And it's funny because last week on the show I had uh, Ian Hunter, who covers the Blue Jays, and we were talking about their farm system, and they got Vlad Jr., Bichette, Anthony Alford. And now this week we're talking Marlins, so let me give you these four guys for the Marlins who they were trying to build their future around, and we'll see how it works out. Trevor Rogers, first-round pick, 13th pick of the 2017 draft, is their number one prospect right now. They just drafted him. Braxton Garrett, everybody knows, had Tommy John, first-round pick, seventh pick of the draft, 2016. Brian Anderson, who had a very good minor league career, 275 in AA, AAA, 22 bombs, 81 RBIs. They call him up for a little cup of coffee. He doesn't do too well, but he has 262. And Tyler Kolick, second-round pick in the 2014 draft, who's just a disaster. He has a five-year A over his minor league career. I don't even think he's reached double-A yet. This has to be one of the worst farm systems in Major League Baseball right now. Am I wrong? Uh, no, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, I cannot think of one that's worse. And uh, it's discouraging because this has been a protracted problem. You know, you look at, at teams, you know, like the White Sox, who have, you know, sold off all their stars and, and done a fantastic job of, replenishing their system and uh you know the marlins have typically not really made great trades they've not typically had great drafts uh you know you mentioned colec you know they they could have gone carlos rodon there uh who granted has had his own health problems but i would be a lot happier uh you know seeing carlos rodon in uh in the marlins uh uniform but uh, instead tyler colec so yeah it's, it's very it's very discouraging and you know you joke about you know trevor rogers he's the top prospect you know, he's the, the guy they just drafted in the first round. Well, that's, that's been sort of the pattern, I think, the last several years, which is, you know, whoever they drafted most recently, that's that's the top prospect because nobody's ever really panned out, uh, you know, once you know, guys like Yelich and Ozuna, uh, you know, been called up. Yeah, they definitely – it makes sense to get rid of Stanton and Gordon. People think you want to trade John Carlos Stanton – you're going to be so bad, but when you really dig into it, they really need to replenish this farm system, and, and that seems like the best way to do it. 
So yeah, I mean, really, the only way you know to to do it and you know get on the, the path that uh, you know teams like the White Sox. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. We could talk hot stove stuff all day about the Marlins because they're probably going to be one of the biggest teams this offseason as far as transactions made. Let's jump over to the fantasy side a little bit. We mentioned Ozuna before. He's going to be 27 on opening day. Can he repeat the year he just had, which honestly, if they were a little better of a team and he might be in the MVP talks, they got 124 RBIs hitting 312 with 37 bombs at 26 years old. This is my problem with Ozuna. 2016, second half, hit 209, six bombs, 29 RBIs. This year, 2017, second half, he had 307, almost 100 points higher, 14 homers, 54 RBIs. Just knowing that he could pull off that 2016 second half again kind of scares me. Do you think he could repeat this year, next year? You were thinking exactly what I was thinking, um, that it's, it's really been a roller coaster ride for Ozuna. And you may recall a couple of years ago, they, they demoted him. I think it was uh, 2015. Um, and again, then he had uh, 2016 where he got off to a great start and then he tanked, as you mentioned, in the second half. And I really kind of was waiting for that. I was waiting for the shoe to fall in 2017 and it never did. So I, it was a very, very pleasant surprise to me that Ozuna had such great consistency and just such fantastic overall numbers, uh, way beyond, um, you know, my wildest expectations for him. So I still have that lurking. Uh, doubt about consistency. I don't have any doubts at this point about the skill set. I mean, he absolutely backed up the, the power numbers, uh, the batting average. I mean, I think the RBI total um, definitely looks a little bit out of whack. But um, uh, I just worry about consistency from him. So I think he could repeat it. But in terms of being a fancy owner and, and you know, kind of putting my money or my draft picks where, where my mouth is, um, I, I don't see being aggressive and going after Ozuna at all because of my concerns about consistency. He's got to put in another year. It doesn't necessarily have to be as good as this year, but another solid year where he doesn't just totally tank. And especially without standing there, the, the productivity, will pro- I can only assume will go down. But like I said, you can't predict baseball. Al. Like I couldn't get rid of this guy for anything at the, at the All-Star break last season, and it turned out my best move was not making a move by holding on to him, and I reaped the benefits of it, but... Without Stanton, the numbers will definitely go a little bit down, and Gordon not on base. So we'll see what happens there with Ozuna. Another guy I want to talk about fantasy-wise, JT Realmuto, who has all the tools. I love everything about this kid. 278, 17 homers, 65 RBIs, only 26 years old. His 162-game average since he's been in MLB, 280, 15, 66, 11 stolen bases. That's where he gets you at the 11 stolen bases. And he's gone up in home runs and RBIs every season. Still, I see people taking Yadier Molina over him or people taking Salvador Perez. I could understand Wilson Contreras and Gary Sanchez. Between Real Muto, I'm going to put Sanchez first. Sanchez, in my opinion, I hope in yours too, at least hands down, the best catcher in baseball, right? I agree completely. All right, so now you're sitting there with Real Muto, Posey, Molina, Perez, and Contreras. Is Real Muto the best catcher out of those guys? No, I'd take Contreras ahead of him and then probably Molina next. But the thing is, that let's say, okay, so uh, I think, you know, in pretty much every league, you would expect that uh, Sanchez goes first, Posey goes second. Uh, I do think that Contreras is the clear number three. So let's say in my one of my leagues, you know, he does go third. I'm I'm probably not drafting Real Muto because 
Well, I do think he's the next best one. I don't think there is that much that separates him from Molina uh, or Perez. Um, that that I can't afford to to wait it out and you know maybe get the one of those three that's um, uh, you know that that falls or maybe you know wait and take a flyer on uh, Jonathan Lucroy and, and see because last year is just this past year is just uh, a mystery to me why he just didn't he had all those grounders and didn't generate any power and uh, you know I'm, I'm hopeful that he he bounces back next year and then you know there's a whole bunch of uh, you know, guys that can hit for power and, you know, around Chirinos or Mike Zanino, uh, you know, who, who are, you know, decent fallback options as well. So uh, I certainly like Real Muto better than, than those guys. But, um, I, again, I can't see being aggressive for him uh, or uh, on, uh, aggressive and going after him on draft day. So I love Contreras. I love Real Muto too. I'll, I'll stick Real Muto. See, even Salvador Perez in 27 homers, the 11 stolen bases kind of gets me for Real Muto, and he's just as young as all these guys. I mean, Posey's 30 now, Molina's 35, Perez is a year older at 27. If he's not number three or number four, he's definitely in consideration for it. There's there's an argument to be made there for sure with Real Muto. But like, just like Ozuna, once Stanton goes and once Gordon goes, these guys' product, productivity might go down a little bit, so we'll see what happens there. Maybe everybody will be affected by this, so... We'll see what they might. Again, I think it depends on how how deep the, the cuts go, uh, how many people they sell off. Uh, and I just think back to uh, you know a couple of years ago where people were really avoiding Freddie Freeman, or at least you know, not not being very aggressive because they thought, oh well, Braves had become so bad offensively, and and you know his uh, counting stats are, are just you know, really going to tank, and they really didn't. Uh, and you know, and Stanton's been on a lot of bad Marlins teams, and you know. For the most part, he's put up great counting stats. So I, I, I don't, you know, unless they really gut the club, uh, I don't worry about that with Real Mucho or really any of these guys, Ozuna, Yelich. Uh, um, I, I don't worry too much about that, at least about that. I, I agree. Another guy that's pretty intriguing to not only me, to everybody, because I'm receiving a bunch of tweets about it, Justin Bohr, 2017, 289, 25 homers, 83 RBIs, and only 108 games. And then when I was on Baseball Reference the other day, they have projections for each player, and they're projecting him at 270, 23-74. So they're projecting a full season for him and all his numbers going down. Do you think we can expect more or less from Bohr this upcoming season? I would say less. Uh, probably not a lot less, but I, I'd be really surprised if he topped what he did uh, in, in 2017 uh, from a rate perspective. Again, he missed all those games. So, uh, you know, the counting stats will be better because I'm, I'm assuming he'll play, you know, close to, you know, maybe about 150 games. So, uh, you know, you prorate that out. I mean, he uh, maybe he could be a 35 homer guy. That actually wouldn't really surprise me. I think the thing that would surprise me the most is if he hit uh, 289 or, you know, even 280 uh, again. Uh, I, my expectation would be more maybe around 270 for Bohr because um, he actually struck out more this year. Uh, than he did the year before. Uh, but he more than made up for it, not only with the extra power, but he had a uh, 322 BABIP, and he's just one of these guys. Sure, I'll buy the power. He's a, a good power hitter. But he, he, does, he is pretty pull-heavy, and that should hurt his batting average more than it more than it actually did. So I think maybe at best you see uh, a similar home run rate, you see a similar rate of run production, uh, but I think the batting average is 
it's almost certain to go down, I think. I agree. I don't think he's a 289 hitter either. But 25 homers in 108 games, I mean, he's probably only going up from there. I was actually in attendance for the home run derby, and he's a big boy. He's definitely got a lot of power in his swing, and I don't think that's changing. So we'll see what happens with Bohr next year. He's he's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, As far as fantasy value goes, I want to take a look at the pitching staff here, starting pitchers and relief pitchers, and you let me know if anyone really has any fantasy value. Because like we said about the farm system being one of the worst in baseball, this – I don't want to say it's their, their pitching is the worst in baseball, but it's definitely towards the bottom half. You got Dan Straley, Urena, Conley, Despain, uh, Dylan Peters, who actually I like, but he didn't fare too well. He had a 5.17 ERA with 7.76 Ks per nine in his 31 innings. And then you got a relief pitching with Bearclaw, Ziegler, who will probably be included in uh, Stan or Gordon Deal, Tazawa, and Steckenrider, who actually had a very good season. Outside of Bearclaw, I really don't think I want any of these guys on my fantasy team. Maybe Urena, he doesn't strike out enough guys, but what do you think about this? the pitching here? I like Dan Straley a lot. I thought he was uh, a great pickup. I'm not sure at the, the expense of giving up Luis Castillo. Uh, I, you know, if they could uh, reverse that trade, I wouldn't complain. Mm-hmm. But I also don't complain about the Marlins having Dan Straley. Um, he, he had a rough second half, uh, but he, he pitched well at home, and that, that – uh, I assume that was part of the gamble that the Marlins took is they knew he was an extreme fly ball pitcher. They knew they had a good big park, put him in. And uh, at home, he gave up just 1.2 home runs per nine. He had a 3.57 ERA. And his overall ERA in the first half was 3.31. So I'm not sure what happened in, in the second half exactly. I, I wouldn't you know, think it's fatigue. I mean, he's, he's been around. He actually pitched more innings in, in 2016 when he was with the Reds. But I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't do what he did in the first half and, and do that all season long. He's going to be a risk in certain venues, but pitching in the NL East is, a, is just so, such a great thing for him because um, Nationals Park is pitcher-friendly. City Field is, is uh, you know, sort of neutral. The new uh, ballpark in Atlanta seems to play sort of hitter-friendly. Um, but, um, you know, I... I uh, you know, the Phillies ballpark is, is the one that's clearly uh, tough on pitchers. But um, that, that's not a bad combo, you know, with half of the starts roughly coming at home. And he's, he's become a pretty decent strikeout pitcher. So um, he's not to make it start every week. But, you know, I streamed him a lot last year, and I, I can't say, I, I you know, I uh, could complain. So I, I could even see taking him in the late round of a, of a 12-team mixed league and just knowing I'm going to, you know, keep him on my bench uh, you know, maybe every third or fourth this week when he goes to Philly or, uh, you know, someplace like that. Yeah, I I could see him as a streaming option. I don't know if I'd throw a draft pick on him, but I could definitely see him as a streaming option. It's, that's what these guys are, for the most part, streamers. I don't see anybody here as far as no, going. No. I would, yeah. Stuck I, 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 I agree with that. Yeah. I just want to say that I, I, do, I do find it intriguing. I mean, look, it's, yeah, it's not an ideal rotation. I, I think they're going to, you know, look, if they pick up a, a Luke Weaver, that's, that's, that would be great. Um, but as it currently uh, stands out, I mean, Straley does need to give you the best-case scenario. Adam Conley looked really good in 2016. Um, he, he's got a bounce back from last year, but he's got some upside. You mentioned uh, Arania. And, um, 
you know, you're right. He doesn't strike a lot of guys out. He seems to have a knack for getting hitters to, to uh, pull ground balls. He's not necessarily a ground ball pitcher. In fact, he's really not. But when hitters uh, hit grounders against him, they, they pulled them at a very high rate. And I think that helped them to keep that bat up really low. And, and he had good overall results. But that's an actual skill he has. He's kind of a sneaky streamer, too. And Despagne, uh, I know probably people even in deep leagues aren't really interested in him. He had fantastic splits against righties and um, took advantage of, of the home park as well. So I think all these guys have, at least in deep leagues, they, they have some, some intrigue. I, I can see that, I, especially against teams like the Mets and, like we said, streaming options. As far as the relief pitching, if you're not in a league with holds, Second rider really doesn't have much value. I mean, I think he's awesome. The guy's striking out 14.02 per nine. Tozawa had a terrible season. His ERA was close to six. Ziegler, I ha- I personally had the Ziegler-Bearclaw combination for a while, and it wasn't that bad until the very, very yeah. end. Bearclaw, he reminds me, he doesn't necessarily pitch like A.J. Ramos, but the numbers are just like A.J. Ramos, where – they really are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like they gave up Ramos and they put him right back into closers. So, but he definitely has <laughs> definitely has value as a closer, Bear Claw, assuming he is the closer. Yeah, I would too, because uh, everything uh, you know, uh, you mentioned I write for for uh, Fangraphs, and um, you know, the thing that I wrote for them during the season was uh, the bullpen report. I was one of of a group of people that contributed to that, and. Um, uh, all you know, I, I kept an eye on the Smarlin situation all year long, and it, you know the the idea was he was being groomed. That was you know no shock that uh, you know he was brought in to close at the end of the year. That was really the plan, and uh, he's he's got the skill set to do it. And I think he could you know even cut back on on the walks. It's not that he's not a strike thrower. He just doesn't hasn't really shown a great ability so far to get people to chase pitches out of the zone. But uh, he's got good stuff and. I think it could be a very good closer. I always say this to my friends. Um, I always try and tell them about certain guys where their stuff is too nasty. It's almost too nasty that if you could – people just lay off. They don't even lay off. On, they're laying off because it's so nasty, and those are the pitches that are being called balls. He's kind of one of those guys. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a little, a little down moment here. Jose Fernandez, I was a huge fan. He was my second favorite player of all time. I probably watched 90% of his starts throughout his career from day one. I actually had him from day one on my team. What's your favorite Jose moment? You know, I, 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 it's, it's so hard to, uh, to come up with one because it's not like there was that, you know, um, I don't think there was a single kind of signature game that he had. There were certainly, you know, eras and, and moments like, uh, you know, at some point in his rookie season about, uh, you know, a month and a half in where it just became clear that, you know, as he was building some consistency, he was going to be really special. Uh, I remember him coming back from Tommy John surgery and, you know, struggling a little bit at first, but really, you know, it became very clear pretty quickly that, you know, he was, he was going to be just fine. But, I, you know, oddly enough, the, the start that sticks with me the most is his final one because uh, it was one of his best starts ever, and it was against the Nationals. And, uh, you know, so it's just, you know, just such a, an odd thing that, uh, you know, I remember watching that game and just feeling so good about his future, you know, and that was the last game he ever started. So uh, I, that's probably the one that's going to stick with me uh, 
you know, uh, for years to come. Uh, it really was. Uh, I watched that whole game, and there's no doubt in my mind he'd be a Hall of Famer when it was all said and done. I think to share with you my favorite moment actually came on the hitting side. His last start of 2016, I'm sure you remember when they faced the Braves, he actually gave up four runs that game, but he hit the, his first home run, and when he was rounding third base, he spit, and Chris Johnson went insane, and Brian McCann said something on the home plate. That was just... That was him having fun. That wasn't him showing anybody up. That was him having fun. That was him being who he was, you know? That yeah, that actually that that probably was a signature moment for him. Yeah, that was that was great. I guess unless um, you're Brian McCann or you're a Braves fan, but I don't know. I got to think anybody who's a baseball a baseball fan had to have fun with that. He just played with so much emotion. It was I can talk about it all day. That's I could he could have his own I could have my own podcast just on him, you know? Yeah, no, you easily could. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, before you go, some expectations for the Marlins this season. Your expectations? Well, you know, I mean, I thought they would be so much better than they were. Uh, I thought they were a legit uh, contender in 2017 to start the year, um, you know, understanding that they didn't have a good rotation. Uh, but I thought they'd get something from Wei and Chen. Uh, like I said, I had some, some high hopes for Dan Straley, which he largely fulfilled. So, you know, that said, they're obviously – going to be a, a worse team on paper going into next year. And yet I think they can be in that, uh, you know, mid seventies win range. I really do because I, I think the bullpen could be all right. Um, like I said, I think that the, the, the starting rotation doesn't you know look really great, but you know, there is some potential upside there. And you also going to mention Dylan Peters, who I like a lot. Maybe he emerges as a, somebody who's in the, the top three of that rotation. You know, maybe they pull off a trade uh, to add a, a, a decent to good arm in that rotation. And then what you got left over, if, that, if all they lose is uh, Stanton and Gordon, you know, you've got, you know, I would say probably about a league average offense. So I don't expect them to be a 500 team, certainly no better. I'll expect them to really contend for anything. But I think maybe, maybe even though it's only a couple games worse than this season, I think they could maybe win 75 games. It's it's possible. I mean, they definitely got the offense to to hit with anybody. So we'll see what they what moves they make with pitching. Listen, Al, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really had an awesome time. Everybody, go follow Al on Twitter. Check out his website, almecure.com. Follow me, Mike the Cop, Mike Th3 Cop. Al, really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, it was fun. Uh, thanks again for having me on. All right, have a good one.